everybody good morning special welcome to you if you're new good to see you again if you're not let's start today with some prayer and then uh we'll sing our first song lord jesus thank you for this day that you have made you tell us to rejoice and be glad in it i am 100 percent positive that people came in here with some burdens and doubts and heavy things and you are a god who can lift all burdens who can cure all doubts with truth pray that as we hear your word today, you would speak these things. And let us know that we're not alone, that your presence helps us to bear things and uh, reassures us when we need it. And I pray for that grace for everybody who's in here. Um, may we be reassured in our Savior. May we be called to our Savior. And may the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, permeate this people, this body, this church, and ripple out from here into people who really need to hear it. And help us along with the scripture that we're going to hear today, know the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. And it's for his, for your wonderful name, we pray, Lord. Amen.
to be seated. Kids are dismissed. All right, how's everybody doing? I'm pretty excited about today. Some pretty cool things uh, are going to be taking place at the end of the service. Um, I'll just give you a little clue. Starts with a B and ends in a M, baptism. So there you go. Uh, and I think that that is one of the most critical events in the life of a believer is to say, I declare that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And we're here to celebrate that. But before we get into that, I have a couple of announcements, and then there are other announcements on the program, uh, just in case uh, you want to know everything that's going on. We, we, I'll just say we're, we're trying to be very sensitive about time constraints. I know we've gone over a few times, and, um, and we're trying to reel it in a little bit so we can get out right at 1010 like we, like we promised so many times and under-delivered a few. So here we go. Well, as you know, Veterans Day is coming up on Thursday. And uh, one of the things that we've wanted to do is just uh, kind of reintegrate some of these um, different times of reflecting on the people, on the events that make up uh, the story of our country. And if we have people in the room, for starters, uh, that are veterans or that are serving, we want you to stand. And uh, we just want to honor and give honor to whom honor is due. Okay. Thank you guys for your service. Um, and I know that as uh, we, we move into uh, the week and we're thinking about not only our veterans that um, are out of the service, but definitely be keeping in mind the veterans in the service. Um, and uh, I know that, I don't know if we were able to do it or not, but one of the things that we wanted to do was uh, uh, get little plastic army men and uh, just distribute them to everybody who uh, has a connection to a veteran or somebody that's serving. And I don't know if we have that together this week. They are back there, okay. Um, so if you have somebody that you're connected to or just anybody that you're aware of, pick up one of the plastic army men, and the point of, of, of the object is for you to have it in a place where you can be praying for that person, especially the people that are serving right now, uh, because the type of calling that they have, there is a spiritual layer to it, and they need our prayers. Uh, so we give thanks for uh, those who are who have been and are part of our military. So um, make sure you pick that up before you go. Secondly, uh, we just want to mention uh, the Christmas parade is coming up. Can you believe it? Oh, man. Uh, it's always a lot of fun, but I don't know what it is about that day. It's like somebody says, let's find the thermostat dial, and let's just turn it all the way down as far as it'll go. Uh, but we always have a great time. And so if you want to join the kids in the student ministry uh, to help pass out things and to get the things ready, uh, please uh, let Brittany know in the office or in the studio you can sign up. Uh, so with that said, curious to know if there's any prayer concerns, any prayer requests. Um, I do have just a, a personal prayer request. I have a, 
a cousin that passed away from, she struggled with health issues for a long time, but she was only like in her 30s. Um, so um, just want to pray for the Rinker family uh, as they go through a season of grief. And uh, appreciate your prayers on behalf of uh, that. Please keep in mind Gail Hill, who, as you know, is going through cancer um, chemotherapy, and I know that she's getting near the end of her journey, and I'm hopeful, fingers crossed, prayers to the Lord, that she can one day get a clean bill of health again. So keep Gail Hill in your prayers. Um, any others that you have today? Yeah, Robin? Okay. Um, I did have an episode this week that didn't land me in the hospital, but um, just to point me in the right direction of where I need to go to get the answer. Okay. All right. So we'll, we'll pray for uh, just that uh, continuing issue with um, uh, just it's migraines. migraines and paralysis. Yeah. Okay. Anyone else? All right. Well, um, a lot going on, so we'll, uh, oh, wait, okay, in the back. Sorry, um, we have a neurology appointment for Coleman on Tuesday. Okay. He, um, he was diagnosed with a rare genetic disorder, and we start therapy this week. Okay. Okay, so pray for Coleman. This is a critical moment for him. Uh, it's been a long journey for you guys, I know. And Coleman is just a wee lad. Uh, and we'd like to see him thrive and hopefully he can get um, whatever kind of help that that condition requires. So we'll keep him lifted up. All right. All right. Yeah. Uh, Hi, uh, Joe, okay. Yeah. Yeah, Larry's hiding in the back. <laughs> so Larry's had some health, uh, but the Lord is helping him through them, and I'm just so grateful for that as well. So praise the Lord. Okay, if you don't mind then, would you bow with me, and let's go before the throne of our Lord. Lord Jesus, uh, we do want to know you. We want to know you even more in a personal way that helps to define our very identity, where in time, as you begin the process in some lives, even today, and as you continue working in our lives, as things unfold, uh, maybe many miles down the road, we know you are doing a good work inside of each of us. That you are renewing our minds and our hearts to be that that is very characteristic of the mind and heart of your son. May that process of transformation continue within uh, the gatherings of this body. We pray, Father, that as we think about all of the pastoral needs that are happening around us, uh, we pray that you would just bless uh, those who are recovering and those who are struggling, uh, as we've mentioned. So we pray for Gail Hill. We pray for Robin. We just ask, Father, that you help both of them in, um, in the journey that they're on, that you would be that great physician in their lives. We thank you, Father, for helping uh, Coleman and uh, the Cotlers through a journey that also has been um, really uh, uh, 
just a, a very unique and unusual one. And you, Lord, know everything about us. You have fearfully and wonderfully made us. And so I just pray that you would help him to thrive through uh, those who are called as they are aware and enabled and through your, the touch of your, your hand, Lord. I pray, Father, that you bless all of the things that we have coming up, that you allow whatever it is that uh, this season means to find definition and significance around your son, whether it's the Christmas parade or whether it is uh, just the Friendsgiving and just all the things leading up to Advent and the outreach uh, that we're hoping to do to our community. We just pray, Father, that you continue to direct our path as we make the plans. And Lord, as we think about our veterans and those who have spent time and energy and sacrifice to ensure freedoms and have done so in a way that uh, honors the lives of our community, we pray that you would honor them in turn as we recognize their role in society and the personal effect that it's even had on them in what they've offered. So we thank you for them, Lord, and we pray you bless them. We thank you, Father, for your son who defines everything for us in a way that is full of truth and grace and love. And may that path be defined as we pray together the Lord's Prayer. Would you pray with me now? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you or your phone or whatever device you use to look at the Scripture, feel free to do that. Or you can just look on the screen because we're going to continue uh, through the book of Philippians. Uh, we are about midway through chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. And in exploring that with you guys today, uh, just keep in mind what's happening with Paul. He's in prison. He's concerned about his friends at this church. And all of the historical study that I've done on Philippi in my crash course the last few weeks, uh, it's a church about the size of ours, believe it or not. And it's experiencing a lot of challenges from within and a lot of challenges from without. But the good news is they're not fatal challenges. Like some of the churches the Apostle Paul writes to, there's huge problems. I mean, systemic problems. This church... Just normal problems, just the kind of stuff, you know, where Jesus looks at all of humanity and he says, I love humanity, but I'm sure that at times he feels like, but people can be a struggle. And yet, because he loves us so much, he's willing to endure our shortcomings, our willfulness, our stubbornness, so that we can have the influence of his life change us into what we are supposed to be forever people. Paul really has this on his heart, and he knows that Jesus was the game changer. It took him a while to figure that out, but once he did, he's like, 
that is the one thing I want to dedicate my life to, which he did, and it cost him a lot. Matter of fact, it created conflict at a political level to such a degree that they threw him in jail. And when you're, in, when you're living in that day, it's not like you have due process where you have the right to remain silent, you know, and they, they say, okay, you know, you can get out on bail until we figure this out. No, they just throw you in prison until you figure, till somebody figures something out. So you could stay there a long time and not even be charged other than just, you know, keep him off the street, out of trouble. And Paul is in that space. Where he doesn't know where it's going. Worst case scenario, not too far down the road, he'll be beheaded. Best case scenario, they'll let him free. But chances are, they'll probably reel him back in again. So that's his dilemma. And in light of all of the turmoil that he's creating in the minds of some, there are others who are saying, yes, what you're offering is exactly what I've been looking for. But it's a challenge. I want to start this message by saying, my name's Leonard Moore, and I'm an alcoholic. Not to diminish alcoholism. And matter of fact, I don't have to say that right now because I'm not. But the five people that live in my house, apart from my wife, well, actually, three of them are gone. Two are left. And I wouldn't even call them people, actually. I don't know what to call them. They behave like people a lot, but in reality, it's a cat and a dog. And they are going to drive me to alcoholism, I know. I don't want to be that guy that says, my name's Leonard and I'm an alcoholic because of them. But it may happen. Because uh, what I've discovered about those two is they are sneaky. And, you know, this has not been a recent discovery for the cat because I'll be... Uh, leaving the house, and the cat will think I'm gone, and I'll come back in, and the cat is up on the counter, which is absolutely forbidden. And I'll walk in, the cat will look at me like that, and then he'll jump down and he'll scurry off. And I'm like, how many times does this happen when my wife and I are away? But what really got me because cats, you know, don't get me wrong. Cats choose to like you or not like you. They're the controller of the relationship. But dogs, they're faithful. I mean, when I had COVID, the dog was so far up against my leg, I'm like, there's no farther that you can go. He just clung to me like, are you dying? Are you sick? Are you okay? What's going on? I want to walk. And I'm like, I just don't feel good. And he just hung out. And I'm like, Man, that's a good dog. But what happened a couple of weeks before gave me a little bit of pause to make that declaration because I, I remember going outside to, I think I was off to work. And I'm, oh, I forgot something. And I'd been, I'd been outside probably for a few minutes. And I walked back in, and right inside the door, we have to put the cat bowl up on a shelf because the dog eats cat food, eats everything. And so we put it up about that high, and cat jumps up and eats his food. And that's how we've kind of solved our problem, I thought. I walked in, and this dog who complains about going up the steps is up there on the shelf. And when he sees me, he's like, oh. 
And then he jumps down and he runs off like, I was caught. And I'm just thinking, man, I'm trying to keep my house in order here. At least I have three kids. Officially, my, my last one is gainfully employed in his career. Uh, so I feel pretty good about that. But those two, man, their work. And as Paul is looking at this church at Philippi, he's saying to himself, I love these guys, but I'm in prison. I can't be there. And some things I have to do preemptively. Some things I got to get in front of so that it kind of keeps the train from running off the rails down the road. And he's writing about some of the things that he's seen happen in the other churches like Galatia and in Corinth. And he's just praying, these guys... They're special. Every time I think about them, I just have this huge amount of joy. And our connection is probably deeper than many other churches because here I am in jail, which you don't get, you know, three square meals a day and room and board and all that stuff. Everything you have, somebody's got to bring you every day. And the people from Philippi said, Paul, we're going to help you out. And they did. They sent Epaphroditus and other envoys to bring food and money and resources and scripture to read. And he was so grateful that he could just trust those guys and rely on those guys. And he really wanted to see them not just survive as a church, but to thrive. And, you know, that's what we want to see here, is for us to be able to thrive in the Lord. And... I think Paul really has the path mapped out for us in a lot of good ways. So we're going to look at this scripture that um, Paul writes. It's a pretty brief document, but it, it's filled full of stuff. So here we go. He says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you um, is, uh, is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, <laughs> like I said. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. So he's, he's not pulling any punches here. For we are the circumcision, which is a, a, a Jewish way of identifying with the covenant, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. And... Um, and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks, um, uh, if anyone else thinks they have reasons for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, which in the Hebrew mind and the Jewish mind, just a sidebar, if you were circumcised on any other day, it didn't really count for much. On the eighth day, though, that was a big deal. So we'll just leave it at that. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. So he's essentially saying, my, my pedigree is such that you cannot deny the fact that there are just ordinary Jews and then there are outstanding ones who were actually handpicked and chosen for mentoring and training into the role of being a, a great religious teacher, which is exactly what he's saying. And he said, there's no question, I'm not a half-breed, I'm not a mix, I am Hebrew through and through. When it comes to the law, I'm like the Pharisees, I've studied it, 
I'm, I, I'm zealous for it. Um, and everything that, um, let's go on, uh, go to slide six. Um, everything that would satisfy the standard of status religiously, I have. But then he says this, but whatever gain I had, I counted it as a loss for that one thing. Him alone, Jesus Christ. Indeed, I count everything lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, my Lord. And Paul is actually arguing in a way that says, it's not saying that I'm just going to get rid of everything and not have anything except Jesus. He's basically saying it's an argument that says the, the, the greater first and then everything else is the lesser. The Hebrew word is call wakonamer. Would you like to say that with me? I didn't think so. So uh, he said, for this sake I have suffered the loss of things and, and count them, of all things, and count them as rubbish. Um, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. And finally, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, share in his suffering, and become like him even in death. That by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Basically, Paul is just pointing out the fact that he is giving up everything for the one thing. He is dedicating every part of his life for the purposes of Christ. And any status that he had achieved in a very status and honor-oriented culture, he says, I just count it as a loss. I hate to be graphic, but the word he uses is scubalon, and it just means C-double-R-double-A-double-P. It means crap. There we go. That's what he's saying. I kind of said that in a polite way because I know probably people online that are kids. But um, he says it doesn't have the value that it used to have. I know him. And it's like after knowing him, there isn't a priority that I would consider worthy of dedicating time and attention to other than him. And that was something that he was hoping to share and then to see over time manifest in the lives of the people. Now, I don't know about you, but I wish spiritual growth was a linear progression. Like you're here, tomorrow you'll be here, and we're just assuming it's all going right and up. And, you know, do a few more things and I'm here. And as I'm following the Lord... The habits and the ways of thinking and, and even the things that I know are not good, I'm, I'm, I'm just weeding them out. And the good things of Christ, I am integrating into my life. Has anybody experienced that? Or is it two steps forward and three back 
Sometimes three steps forward and four back. It happens, doesn't it? But the one thing that Paul is totally aware of is that you cannot outpace the grace of Christ. It is constantly keeping up with us. And not only that, it's constantly there to help us to know forgiveness, to know strength. And Paul even mentions the power of the Spirit at work in you, which changes everything. And as Paul is writing these things, he wants to see the church grow. And even as I'm offering the sermon, I want to see, I want to see myself grow so that I can have a degree of credibility. But I, I want to, to gather with you, see everyone grow. And I would be the first to tell you, I don't embody entirely everything that we study and teach. But I'm on my way. And I guess one way of describing preaching is I'm a beggar here for a meal like everybody else. But I am so thankful for what Jesus has done and continues to do that I'm drawn to him. And sociologists say that you're, you're kind of the sum total in your identity of the five or six people that you spend the most time with. And the defining feature of your friends begins to characterize yourself and actually begins to define your own character. And if you were to ask what is character, it's just a sum total of all the choices that you make. And eventually those choices make you. And the people around you, they make choices about life, and we kind of imitate that in one another. And Paul is hoping that even though he can't be there, that they will imitate not only Christ, who didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but counted it all for loss so that he himself could become one of us as a servant, serving everyone, and as a result, God exalted him. And if you pay attention, what Paul has written today parallels what he saw in Jesus' life. I considered all that attainment, all that honor, that status that I socially had. I had a social value in the minds of people that was pretty much above just about everybody else, especially that was Jewish. And I said, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to stay there. I'm going to do whatever it takes, even if it means in my sacrifice and service, going to prison. I don't know about you, but I don't know if I'm quite ready for that level of commitment. But there is something that happens when Christ takes hold of you and I that changes us. And Paul sees some threats that are happening on the horizon, that happened in Galatia, that happened in Rome, and he's saying, Lord, please, please don't let this happen to these guys. And one of them was, he was concerned that there were people who were Jewish, who were Christian, but they couldn't quite shed all of their Jewishness in the sense that they were requiring Gentiles to do what Jews and their covenant were required to do, like circumcision and things that really characterize the Jewish way of life. 
And he experienced that in Galatia, even with Peter of all people. There was confusion about where does my identity as a Jewish person end and where does Christ pick up in that identity? And that really is a question for any of us in the room. Where does my identity as an American citizen, as a native of, or, or a person who lives in the Salem area, as um, a person that is living in the 21st century and has the mindset of somebody living in 2021 with all the technology, all the social media, and all the things that influence how we value and prioritize our time. All of those things are things that we have to sort through. And the Apostle Paul knew that there were Jewish people that couldn't quite sort it out. So it'd be like me coming to church here and saying, well, if you're male, better get circumcised. That would probably diminish the population by half quickly. Um, But there are also other characteristic things that would indicate that you're part of that, 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 that grouping. Paul says there's only one thing for a Gentile to be aware of. Trusting faithful allegiance to Jesus Christ. That's it. It's the only requirement. And the book in the book of Acts, Luke kind of records how they came to that realization in Acts 16. The elders said, Yeah, that's where we're going to go with this. And Paul says, As I'm telling people the good news, I don't want you as a church to have some people come in and rack it. Now, he wasn't denying being a Jew. He was just saying, matter of fact, the, the Jesus that he was giving them was Jewish. The scripture that they were reading were Jewish. But he wasn't saying this. When Christ comes into your life, it redefines it all. It redefines you. You start, through the power of the Holy Spirit, going from a person that flies off in a fit of rage or anger, that is primarily making decisions selfishly. And I learned after having three plus two children that the world doesn't revolve around Leonard anymore. Matter of fact, that ship sailed a long time ago. And the Apostle Paul wanted these guys to understand that the world doesn't revolve around any one of us individually. But we go from a people having a personal faith in Jesus to a people that are we together for Jesus. And if any house is going to stand, everybody's got to be aligned. I mean, with the three older kids, it kind of worked. They're still believers. They still trust the Lord. They still pray. But the other two? I don't know. I don't know. They say all dogs go to heaven. I wonder. But I'm guessing the grace of Christ even outpaces them. But I'm not going to tell them. So Paul is saying to this church, and I think that means us, that there's a change happening in all of our hearts. And we've got to kind of name some of the stuff that's getting in the way. One of the big fears these guys had, not only was Paul fearful about Jewish people trying to bring them back into Judaism, 
But there was also this guy named Claudius. Claudius was in charge at Caesar right about this time. And the thing that you got to appreciate about Philippians is they're living in a political moment where Jewish people in Rome, according to Claudius, if they hadn't been expelled, they're getting ready to be expelled because he's tired of seeing the Jews and the Gentiles fighting all the time. But prior to doing that, there was an earthquake in Alexandria, which is like in the northern part of Egypt, and it created riots, Jews versus Gentiles. And Claudius basically, and it was over the religious worship of the Caesar, because that was the religion primarily, amongst others, that you worship Caesar first and foremost. And the Jews said no, riots broke out. Claudius then made a decree. And I want to jump to um, uh, the picture of the emperor Claudius. So you know who I'm talking about. You see, Claudius was reigning in the Roman Empire for about 13 years. He's dealing with all of these issues that had to do with Jews who are scattered all over the place and the Roman way. And so he finally makes a decree, and I love this decree. Here's what he says. It's almost entertaining. Therefore, it is right that also the Jews who are in all the world under us shall maintain their ancestral customs, their identity, without hindrance. And to them I now commend to use uh, that my, let me see if I got this right, to use that my kindness, uh, let me find it here, sorry, um, to use this, to use, commend to you, command to use this, my kindness, rather reasonably, and not to despise the religious rights of the other nations, but to observe in our own laws. Essentially what Claudius was saying it's okay for Jewish people to worship as they worship. We'll make an exception because I'm tired of the politics. And so he gave them that ability. But it didn't work out so well because in Acts chapter 20, I just want to, if you'll indulge me for a second, or, or 18 it says, uh, Luke records kind of the history of what's going on. He says, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently um, basically expelled from Rome, from Italy, with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews, leave. And he went to see them because he was of the same trade, staying with them because they were tent makers. Now, in the history of, of the church, those two people were very significant influencers of Christianity. But they were kicked out of Rome because of Claudius' decree. There's some fear about that. And you may be saying, so what? I'm glad you asked because here's a map of Philippi, okay? And in the middle of it, near the top, that's where, we're, that's where our church is. And the rest of it's the whole Roman Empire. Now, the next map, real quickly is just one of many that I've sorted through. And this, if you see all the dots, 175 of them all over the Roman Empire, which meant that every town had a shrine and, 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 and quarterly celebrations oftentimes that were dedicated to Caesar. So four times a year, we'd get together in the town square. 
there would be a statue of Caesar, and we'd worship him as the son of God, as the savior, as the one who is responsible for the peace of the Roman Empire. So they're pretty much controlling everybody's mind with these rituals. And then there's the Jews. And they're like, we're not down with that. We're not on board with that. And Claudius says, just do your own thing. Two categories of people that can worship. You're either worshiping Caesar or you're worshiping the Jewish God. But what about those Christians? Where do they fit? And as it turns out, that's the big issue on the table for Paul's moment of time. Because nobody knows what to do with them. Some people are like, well, they're part of the Jewish sect. And other people are like, no, they're not. And the Jews are saying, no, they're not. And Paul is fearful. Because here's the thing. If you are not a Jew and you are not a worshiper of Caesar, then you had no place. And they will shut you down. It is an illegal religion. I mean, it's not America. It's an illegal religion. You can't do this. And so if you say publicly, I'm a Christian, people would raise an eyebrow at you and say, are you sure? Are you sure? Because if you're going to go that way, it's going to lead to trouble. And all these churches are popping up, and their status with the government is ambiguous. And some of them are saying, you know what? Let's just identify with the Jews and be done with it. Then we're safe. We're on base. And Paul's saying, bless you. That's not what this is all about. This is not about being a Jew or Roman. It is about Jesus Christ, who is King of kings and Lord of lords. And you think emperors, Caesar is a big deal. Jesus is an even bigger deal. So much so that my allegiance is with him no matter what. And he's trying to tell this church, be strong in your identity as followers of Jesus. Do not be afraid. And many people took up that call. In the church of Philippi, actually, there was a, um, there was a, a couple generations later, there was a member of the church. And my question is, what do you get when you cross? Um, oh, never mind. His name is Polycarp. There you go. Polycarp said, I'm a follower of Jesus. And the Roman Empire said, uh, that's illegal. And they took him to the Colosseum and made a public spectacle out of him, said he was an atheist because he didn't worship Caesar, and they set him on fire. But what was interesting was the influence of the church was going to all those places where you see those dots. And it was, the Roman Empire was changing to a Christian empire. And the reason they did that was because even though you got all of this blather about how great Caesar is, 
If I had a child and I didn't like it, I could abandon him, and that'd be that. If I had an elderly person that didn't want to take care of him anymore, I could just let him go. If I was in an economic category where I had a medical problem, there was no health care. That, and for many other reasons, Christians said, you are human beings that Christ died for, and we're going to love you through helping you with these critical needs. It wasn't like we're going to bash you over the head and just tell you you're just going to hell, you better, better repent. I'm not saying that that's not part of the equation. But what I am saying is the important thing in their mind was let's embody the love of Christ like Jesus did and win them accordingly, which they did. And shortly after Polycarp was immolated, people kind of lost interest in gathering at the Colosseum to see people killed. They just didn't have the stomach for it anymore. Why? Because the people were changing inside out. This was Paul's vision. He says, I know even if I'm in prison, the gospel of Jesus Christ is so powerful that there's no question that it will work if you give your life over to him and count everything else as loss. I'm not saying get rid of your stuff, but I'm just saying make it less of a priority and make sure that it doesn't get in the way of your relationship with him because that relationship will change you. Well, I just want to just give you some takeaways real quickly because there are three forces that shape our identity, and this is really what Paul's all about. God looks at you and he says, you are made in my image, each of you. That's why everybody that comes into this church is equally important in the eyes of God. That's why when we celebrate communion together, no one can say to the other, I'm better than you are at the foot of the cross. The divine design for us is to live in relationship with our creator. Jesus made that possible for everybody. But you and I know, I was born in 1963, so seen a lot. Had two sisters that lived, they didn't go to Woodstock, but they, they might as well have. And I saw all of that and a whole lot of other stuff since then. And it kind of shaped the way I looked at life. And God's been unshaping that because there are things about culture that are truly good. Even being online and being able to worship, that's cool. But there's a lot of things that are corruptive. That leads us to the third aspect of our identity. We're prone to do it our way, aren't we? To not put God first. Thy will be done on earth as is in heaven. You remember praying that a minute ago? In our marriage with our kids, with each other. Our nature isn't always the best. So those things are at work. If you are honest, during the pandemic that we've gone through, 
It's what the Bible calls an apocalyptic moment. The stuff that's been down here is kind of all churned to the surface in all of our lives in a way that we've had to own it. We had to say, yeah, that's a thing. Yeah, I need to sort that out. Yeah, I've I got to deal with that. We've had to do that as a culture as well because things are just coming un- apart in the, from the middle out. Paul has seen that pattern at work in the Roman Empire. God's seen it over and over, and there's a remedy. Because as we're reading the scripture, there are three ways Christians identify as different. And that is, first of all, we learn to relate to the Spirit of God as the enabling power in our lives. So, follower of Jesus, you have a helper. Rather than being angry, bitter, jealous, and fearful, and rage-filled, and lust-filled, and all the things that have to do with the destructive makeup of our person. Paul says the Spirit will replace that in Galatians chapter 5 with love, joy, say it with me if you know it, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Not there anymore, I was getting a little dizzy. Um, But you get it. That doesn't happen by just saying, I'm going to be that person. No, it only happens because of the grace of Christ. But we're the gatekeepers of that grace. We can consent to let it in, or we can say, I want to be saved, but I don't really want to take that Christianity stuff seriously. But I can tell you, after being a Christian for 35 years, I'm still a Christian because it's so worth it. And God is so good. And God helps us along the way. So secondly, we're different because we learn to place total confidence in Christ. If you didn't see that post-pandemic, then you missed it. Because what it showed us was that everything that we thought was really sacred and good and kind of held the world together, falling apart. Went to Panera Bread the other day for coffee. Maybe I mentioned this last week. They said it would be about 20 minutes. We're in the drive-thru. I'm like, 20 minutes? Holy cow. I said, because it was Mandy's coffee. I said, you want to wait 20 minutes? He says, nope. So off we went. But as you know, things that we thought were normal and constant and there, secure, not so much. But the one thing that I can assure you, whether you've gone through COVID yourself or whether you've gone through the pandemic, Jesus never leaves us. He never forsakes us, and he is the one abiding source of strength in all of it. I I can vouch to that personally. But here's the third thing Paul says. As much as social status is important in the world, because in a lot of ways we're like, that's how I have my sense of self-worth. Because other people look at me and they say, oh, you're, you're an awesome person. You're a great person. You've done great things. Paul said, I've been down that road. It's empty. And the thing about his life was, 
One day, everybody loved him as the golden child. The next day, everybody wanted to kill him. So if you're trying to base your sense of worth on the, the measure of how people are looking at you in the moment, that's a pretty scary thing to try to manage. But if you're trying to measure your sense of worth based on how Christ looks at you always as a blood-bought, redeemed, established family, member of the family of God, that's a different story. That will give you a peace beyond all understanding. And Paul says, I'm with him. And when we're with him, over time, we kind of become like him because we imitate people, don't we? And he's the one to imitate. So finally, last slide, coming in to land the plane for chapter 3, 1 through 11. Over time, Paul says, you will learn like I have. There are things that are a priority. The first one is knowing Jesus. Not be a good person and then come to church and lightning bolts may not happen. But simply invite him in like you would anybody that you want to get to know. And then when you do, as we get ready to celebrate a baptism, there is a death, there is a burial, and there is the resurrection. And there's an aliveness that begins to happen in subtle but increasingly powerful ways in a person who lives in the power of the resurrection. The Holy Spirit is a, like a stamp that says, that power's at work in you now, friend. And then be willing to share in the sufferings because it'll happen. One of the reasons why ch people check out of churches is people are great when the honeymoon's going on, but we're pretty willful otherwise. We learn to get along. There is suffering, both socially at times, but also personally in deep soul wounding or physically affecting ways. Paul's aware of that. He even mentioned some of that. But the most important thing, I want to become like Christ even to the point where I'm denying myself and saying this, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus said that, and the next step was a cross. For Paul, it was a beheading. For many of the disciples, it was beheading. For a lot of believers, thankfully, I can assure you, because you're like, hmm, I don't know if I want to be a Christian or not, because if it's going to mean that, chances are we'll live pretty normal lives. But the point Paul is saying is, you got to surrender it all to Jesus first. You'll make the plans. He'll direct the path. And none of us individually know is gonna, gonna lead us until we're there. But the assurance is, if you know Christ, he is with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will uphold you with his righteous right hand. That's a promise. And 
my heart's desire is that everyone in this room would be able to experience that personally because I know you can. And this is why we exist as a church. This is why it's important to support the church because not everybody knows it, not everybody experiences it, and it's life and death. We're going to come to uh, our conclusion here. Rich is going to lead us in communion in just a second. But I'd like for Paula and Roger, if you guys would come up here. Paula is, um, is going to make that move from death to life, from being a person that in a lot of ways is a believer to a person who says, I am committed. So come on up, you guys. Paula, Chris, and uh, Roger Schilling, I just want you to repeat these words after me. I believe, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I accept him as my Lord and Savior. That is your testimony to this congregation, and it is a way of telling them we're with you. At this time, um, Roger, go ahead and have a seat. Um, no, you know what? We're going to pray. Let's pray first. Uh, I'm just so excited. Um, <laughs> Lord Jesus, it is so wonderful to be a part of your family, especially when we see those who you have been working in and on make this public confession of faith that their hearts and their minds are surrendered to you. I thank you for that moment that that happened in Roger's life way back when. And I just pray that you continue to bless him on his journey here at First Christian. And I pray for Paula. I pray that as she is making this confession a reality, she is also making you Lord of her life. I pray that your blessing will be upon her baptism, that as we celebrate that with her, that you would help her to know the promise that there is new life through the death, burial, and resurrection of your son and the way we identify with him in our baptism. So just bless her accordingly. And all God's people said together, amen. amen. All right, let's go on back. times when we get not only discouraged but really feel it um, and it's more than a feeling it's a it's a it's a weight it's we reassure ourselves and we get out this list and and we assure ourselves with our list and but I do this but I do this and we we, we have our resume and um, Paul's was stellar he was he was pretty much a professor so to speak and and a good student at that. He was ever, his identity was everything it should have been for him to have a right standing with God. Um, but whatever gain I had, I counted it all as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. So he takes his I, entire identity 
and he kind of just throws it in the proverbial trash can. Because the only thing he needs in forming his identity is the one who gave him his new one. And he doesn't need any politics, ideals, or ideas, um, personality, whatever it is. Anything that informs our identity is only worthy, really, of the trash can. Because he's the only thing who needs to tell us who we are. And communion is that time where um, it's it's self-evaluation and it's remembering Christ. And so Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. When we remember him, we then put off of ourselves and and we're found only relying on the only thing we need to rely on for salvation. The only thing we need, God has provided. His name is Jesus Christ. And Lord Jesus, we come to you um, full of things that we rely on. And thank you for such grace and mercy and patience that you give us. You provided a time for us to come each Lord's Day and some of us in between um, to put off these things and to put on Christ. May our hearts be full as we remember the cross where you bought us, you forgave us, where you completed the work of justifying us. Help us to remember you. Put off ourselves. And may you teach us the peace that comes with this, that surpasses understanding. Some of us for the first time. Some of us again. Spirit, my words are insignificant to do, to accomplish a thing. But with yours, you can create faith. And so... Help us to know you in the power of your resurrection, to share in your sufferings, to be willing for that, and to become like you in your death. We die to ourselves and live for God, that by any means possible, we may taste of the life that you purchased for us, Lord. Help us in this time. May it be an intimate time of growth and repentance and whatever you would make it in our prayers. And it's for your wonderful name we pray. because you have confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
if you could stand with us. This next song, um, it's a new song, and it, it tells the story of our redemption, um, everything that Jesus did to cause a moment like that, essentially. So as you sing with it here.